Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. Before we get started, I am asking for donations to keep my show free of ads and interruptions and provide the best quality information out there. There is a link in the description below. And again, thank you so much for supporting my podcast and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast with Michael Philpott, providing you inspiration, information, knowledge, and motivation to help you on your soul's path. Covering topics related to health and happiness from the mystical to the metaphysical and everything in between. Making the unknown known. Now let's join the podcast to discover today's topic. Hello, Julie. How are you? Michael, I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Uh, You know, I am very happy that you're on the show today. And uh, I got to just say a little shout out to Drew for connecting us. Yeah, Yeah, love Drew. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm so excited. I'm so pumped because... Um, as far as my podcast goes, I always love to have, you know, a diverse amount of information out there. And when I found out that you studied shamanism, you're mm. a medicine woman, I said, okay, yeah, for sure. Wow. Everybody was excited. I told a lot of people that you're going to be on there. Okay, ask her this, ask her that. So mm-hmm. I have a list of questions. So everybody was so excited about all the information that you had. So when, <laughs> did, you, when did you decide to study shamanism? I think the answer for me is the classic traditional answer of, I didn't choose this so much as it was a series of dreams and things that started happening to me that I couldn't really explain. And those set me on a quest to try to figure out what is this? Do you want a little bit of the story? Yeah. You know, you know, people love the stories, you know, because it always inspires them, right. To, uh, to kind of seek their own journey. Yeah. I think I can paraphrase it a little bit. Sure. I was in high school, I was in about grade 11, and I started having these dreams and I would be completely awake. I wouldn't remember falling asleep. And then I would start to spin clockwise in the fetal position of my body. And then I would start to leave my body and I could see myself and I could feel that that leaving, that moment. And at one point, this was a little later, I was, had moved out. I moved out of my parents' house right at the end of grade 12, July 1st. And uh, I started having those dreams again in my own apartment. And that time I woke up and I was on the ceiling. I woke up and I was on the ceiling and I could see myself sleeping. And I crawled down the wall and I crawled back into myself. Wow. And it was right around then that I started exploring sweat lodges in Winnipeg. And it was right around then. I did not grow up Christian, but I was always searching for a connection to God. I don't know why, always, my whole life. And so I was going to Anglican church every Sunday by myself. And when I started having those dreams, I pulled back from the church just a little bit. And I started exploring my indigenous roots a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's so amazing. So you were just basically astral traveling. That's, yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, that is so amazing. So you're already basically, you know, have the ability already. So you're naturally doing it. So isn't that part of um, shamanism is basically journeying to the other side? Is that part of it? It's like pretty much all I do. Exactly. And I think when I try to like really figure out what the other side is, then I I don't have a clue. But shamanically, we describe it as though there are five worlds, but we can only as shaman, we have to go to four of them, we get initiated in the land of the dead. But as a but that's a shamanic place. But typically, we just go to 
three worlds we go to. Yeah. So what are those three worlds? <laughs> They're uh, the upper world, the middle world, and the lower world. Okay. Upper world is stuff that's already happened. It's where you'll find angels. Uh, your guides are going to be people you're genetically related to. The middle world is a little bit more mundane. It's a little bit more like the world we're in. It's filled with riddles. And the lower world is that which is yet to be. And it's where the animals, the rock, and the fae live. Okay, that's really interesting. Now, what type of shamanism did you study? I know, right? So um, here's like the truth. The truth is this. I'm Métis, which means I am part French and I'm part Indigenous. And um, But I grew up in a family where the rule for many generations has always been, you look white, so you are white. Just stop asking questions about your Native background. So that's my dad's side. And then on my mom's side, my, my grandma on my mom's side is a war bride. She's like from England. She was a very British lady. And so I kind of have these two ancestral paths. I have the, the privilege of getting to explore. So I began to study shamanism in Vancouver, in Lions Bay. And I studied what my teacher was calling Celtic shamanism. And I think if we got into the nitty gritty, the Celts didn't necessarily have shaman. I think they were more druids. And so I think he wasn't necessarily the most like honest teacher I could have had. So I think what I was taught was like a hodgepodge of shamanism. Okay. But you learned a lot of the basic stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah. And which all is of the, yeah. All, all the good stuff, like this, you know, the soul retrieval, which I hear is so popular. Yeah. So, yeah, so you went from um, the Celtic training, then you explored your indigenous roots too, as well, uh, working as a medicine woman. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's talk about that because I love you know hearing information about our you know our local indigenous people here in Canada. I love. Hearing sure, that. sure. Let's start by being super traditional. I, I'll acknowledge that I'm on the Lewangan territory. I'm on the where am I? I'm in Victoria, British Columbia, which is Coast Salish territory. It's the Lewangan speaking people and the Wasanic nations. That's where I'm living. I'm living on unceded territory. There's no um, treaties out here. It's still pretty fresh, still pretty raw. And I'm from Treaty 1. My treaty is the Métis Treaty, and I'm from Manitoba, Treaty 1. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so let's, um, let's explore that a little bit more. So, um, Again, was it an apprenticeship that you found? Um, was there one particular person that you found, you know, a native elder that you were looking at and you said, okay, this is where I want to really start studying on and really start yeah. focusing? I wish, you know, I really wish it was that simple. So here's a couple of barriers that came up for me. One barrier is it looked pretty white. Second barrier is um, I'm living on the West Coast and I'm traditionally from the prairies. So out here, the people are different. The traditions are different. There, I haven't been able to find an exact Métis medicine person to study with on the coast. I usually get swept under the wings of Cree people. So what ended up happening was I met a Cree lady who was, hmm, there's like so many stories intertwined and so many stories. Okay, I was- let's do this. Yeah. I was working in the downtown east side, which is a really tough neighborhood in Vancouver. It's marginalized. Uh, it's the intersectionality of concurrent disorders, mental health and addiction. And I met this woman who was a Cree elder who was holding space at the Drug Users Resource Center. And she was, hmm, when we do traditional ceremony from an indigenous perspective, we have to be sober. We can't get stoned. We can't come drunk. Um, 
But when we're working out of the Drug Users Resource Center, people are quite inebriated from time to time. And so part of her medicine was that the creator gave her that she was given in a naming ceremony was that she was able to work with people who were inebriated. And so I found her through a series of weird coincidences. A, I was working in the neighborhood and and went to that resource place to I did health research. So I was be there looking for participants. And so I met her and she just took me on the whole journey and didn't and taught me as many things as she could. It was sort of one of those relationships where you don't realize it's ending. So it was not a formal apprentice, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And it was like, I don't think I knew the last time I saw her would be the last time I saw her. Wow. I mean, that's uh, I, I love stories like that. A lot of my um, a lot of the people who are listening to the podcast love stories like that because it's always I always find it fascinating with the synchronicities in life and people's lives and how one thing leads to another that leads to another that you meet this person and you happen to be in this uh, uh, in this particular environment to you know whoever people who know Canada know like about East Vancouver I mean oh good yeah I think a lot of people do I mean a lot of people who are listening outside Canada don't really understand it's yeah it's a very it's a very rough neighborhood it's not the best mm -hmm. neighborhood. And there's got a lot of problems out there. And the fact yeah. that this lady was holding space, because when somebody's inebriated in that state, and it's 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 very difficult to hold that loving energy in that space uh -huh. for them to, you know, to yeah. release themselves from that shackle of that addiction, whatever, whatever pain they're going through. Yeah. Do you do you do you work do you work with people with addictions um and right now? That's a great question. Um, here's the great answer. Um, absolutely. I come from my own personal uh, background of addiction. So when I first started becoming a medicine woman, I kind of specialized in addiction. Uh, indigenous people have this theory that it's the way that our tradition kind of goes is we had alcohol before colonization, before settlers, but it was a medicine. And we, when I say we, you know, I cannot talk for the thousands of tribes that were on Turtle Island. I'm just kind of speaking for my people, the people that I know. So they drank, but they only drank about four times a year and they drank traditional, they drank in ceremony and they just drank a little bit and they drank in order to leave their body. It was the whole point of the ceremony. It's why it's called spirits. You leave and another spirit comes in. And if you use alcohol or other drugs that you leave and other spirits come in, in a traditional setting, in a ritual, it's very healing. But when we have trauma and addiction comes up and we're using that same medicine to leave, then spirits come in and we get possessed. So at the beginning, I've been doing shaman stuff since about 2008. And so at the beginning, I did a lot of addiction focused stuffed, stuffed. <laughs> and right now I'm working as a, I'm also a holistic nutritionist. For me, there's some kind of, when I was finished my shaman training, I did a journey and I went to the great tree and I asked, well, what am I supposed to do with all these gifts? What am I supposed to do next? And the answer was connect people to the land. So I spent a bunch of time studying permaculture and I really thought I was going to get into building outdoor spaces with people's plant medicines and all the things so they could go unwind. But instead, I ended up falling madly in love with holistic nutrition. It's just, for me, it's like this reconnection to our food, healing our mind, body, spirit, food, food, food. So I'm working in a recovery place here in Victoria as a holistic nutritionist, 
However, here's what ends up happening. There's all these fentanyl deaths, right? Fentanyl, yes. fentanyl, opioid crisis. And so all these ghosts are following me home. So I go in as a holistic nutritionist. Let's talk about why you need to have some magnesium in your life. But then I'm coming home and the room we're talking in right now, this is my office and this is where all the ghosts hang out. And so I was there on Monday, I brought home a ghost and then we just passed it this morning. So yeah, I am working in addiction <laughs> as a medicine woman right now. I think that's fantastic. I think it's, it's, it's so necessary too as well. And I think a non-traditional approach because there's always that set idea with uh, with medicine and addiction. There's a certain way you need to treat it and stuff like that. There's a larger aspect to it that really gets untreated itself. And that sometimes that is actually the reason why they have this addiction. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily, okay, they had a trauma, but maybe there's something else besides this trauma that's causing the root cause of that and how to heal that. And I love people like yourself who are going out there and trying these traditional methods that have been around for, for centuries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, you know what? Um, let's talk about, you know, some of the techniques that you know, because I know a lot of people have been asking me, says, Mike, when you uh, talk to Julie, talk about, ask her about soul retrieval. What is soul retrieval? Because everybody is so interested in soul retrieval. So you have the floor now. Go ahead. Tell us what soul <laughs> retrieval is all about. Soul retrieval is the bread and butter of the shamanic healer. It is like when in doubt, do a soul retrieval. If, if that's okay, we kind of make jokes like that. I'm a bit of a teaser and I hope okay. I can pass. And so, okay, what is the soul retrieval? Let me get comfy. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's get organized too. <laughs> this is the way it was explained to me and I'm gonna try to explain it to you. So you're about to incarnate you're, let's use let's use the words that are really easy for everyone you're in heaven you are chilling out at the pool side you're just maxing and relaxing god comes and he's like hey julie it's your turn to incarnate and i'm like woo, woo. and so i come i follow god god and i sit down in god's office i imagine it's very luxurious and God has this clipboard out in front of them. And God says to Julie, Julie, what are your goals this lifetime? And I sit down and I think about, well, I got this big spirit and I'm working on all these big, you know, things. And what, what are my top goals? So God and I sit down, we come up with my top goals for this lifetime. God, I think we choose our parents. I think that's a hard thing to tell everybody. And I, maybe that doesn't apply to everybody, but I think it's a hard thing to say. So then God and I choose my parents and God's like, all right, here you go. And then I'm reincarnated as Julie. And I'm living this life with my parents that I chose. And then one day, one day I'm a little girl, I'm on the couch and I'm singing, I'm singing along to Debbie Gibson. I've got the, you know, the brush in my hand and I think I sound amazing. I think I look amazing and I'm like, woo! My aunt walks in and she says, oh girl, you call that singing? You sound like a cat drowning. And all of a sudden I had this contract with God that I was going to use my voice to heal people. But I feel that shame, I feel that shame around my like special gift. And so part of my soul leaves. It doesn't feel welcome anymore. I don't want to sing anymore because I feel so shameful because my aunt made fun of me. And so I don't explore that part of myself anymore. 
So this whole part of me that was in contract with God to have this whole destiny no longer feels like it belongs. So it leaves. It goes and it finds other soul pieces that sing its same lament. And so it finds other soul pieces that were rejected because of singing or a healing thing, and they join together. And then I have this big hole inside of me. So then that's where the trauma can come in. That's where addiction can come in. That's where possession can come in. So often before we do a soul retrieval, there's usually some kind of healing we have to do first or after. Usually I find when people are ready for a soul retrieval, when they've already been doing that little piece of work, then they find me. They're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know what a shaman was before. I found your website the other day. I think I need a soul retrieval. And so, yeah, that, and so then I journey to the other world. I go to the great tree and um, I have guides who, whichever guide shows up, I go to whichever world. And then I find that soul piece and it becomes a dialogue between me and that soul piece. This person's changed. They're ready to work on things. They're ready for you. I lure the soul piece back and then I put it back in the person. I traditionally use like a porcupine quill and a rattle. You can use a few other things, I'm sure. And then it usually comes back with a message. It's like, well, what do you need to keep doing in order to keep this soul piece coming? You know, and it's like, well, little Julie needs to keep singing because it's not about sounding like Debbie Gibson. It's about learning the traditional songs of your people to heal people with. Wow. That is, that is the probably best explanation I've heard about that. I mean, that is so, it's so easy to follow and it's so poignant at the same time, but it's so powerful because that's exactly what most people do. It's like they have that, that little piece of shame and your soul just kind of goes off and you no longer do that, which exactly. is so profound. Now, are you finding it when you do the soul retrievals, is it a specific age range that's, that's happening? Is it those first six years? that we find are the, the most vulnerable? Or is it later in life that we could always have these traumas that we go through and, and that we could actually, you know, you can say, well, here's Mike, he was, you know, 39. Let's go to that piece where he lost that at this time. Or here's Michael and he was six-year-old. And do you just start piecing together like a jigsaw puzzle a little bit? That's exactly it. When I first started being a shaman, I kind of had a bit more of an ego. And I thought that maybe it was like my job to choose which part of your life we work on first. And now I just always set my intention to be that we're going to heal whatever part of you is most ready to heal. And I find that that makes that whole process easier. But yes, absolutely. Inner child work, working on those first even up to puberty, like birth to like 13. I feel like if we can do those first. Yeah. Because everyone's got a weird story, not a weird, some people have a weird story around the day they were born. You know, it's like, what's that story? What's the story around the day you were born? And does the trauma start there? And for some people it does. Yeah, you know, I've even heard stories where it even starts in the womb too as well. Yeah, so it could actually happen there. Now, do you when you do also do past lives is correct too as well. So when you do a, a past life, so basically you're journeying, you're basically, I guess you were traveling outside of your body again, traveling to the past. Mm -hmm. I, correct. And then yeah. are you actually, do you start at, let's say, for example, there is some trauma in the womb. 
you go back into the womb itself, into that state where that uh, particular person is, and then work on that, and then maybe go back prior to that into, um, into the past? Yeah, I think that's two different things. I think the first one is just healing what's happened, what happened in the womb, absolutely. And then doing the past life. If, if I journeyed to heal the womb trauma and there was nothing there, then that would tell us to go to the past life, that it was all just stemming from the past life. Yeah. So how, how often are you finding that it is, it's a past life thing versus just a current life? Ooh, that's brilliant. So people- I have, that, usually... I have those once in a while. I have those questions yeah. once in a while. <laughs> I love it. I think hmm, people often will come for just past life stuff because I think it's interesting for people. But sometimes, I would say it's not too common, but it's a little bit more common these days. Maybe my guides knew you were going to ask, ask that question, and so they've been sending me some people. But yeah, every now and again, so here's what happens. I set my intention. I'm journeying to the great tree to heal Julie. Let's start again from the beginning. I'm journeying to the great tree to bring back a soul piece for Julie that's ready to be brought back. And I get to the great tree, and it's my past life guide that's there, and then I'll go back to the past lives. Ooh. Maybe I forgot what I was talking about, but yes, sometimes that happens. Okay. So with that being said, you talk about the, the tree. Um, yeah. So what is this tree that you talk about? The tree, from what I understand, is from the Celtic tradition, and it is the great tree. It's this huge oak tree, and it lies almost in the middle world and almost in between all the worlds. And it's if you kind of want for the easiest term possible, it is like our elevator to the other worlds. So it is always the starting point for like any work that I do in the other worlds because you always need an orientation. I feel like if I just went to the other world, it's like, well, where am I? But if I can go to the great tree and then I know where I'm going from there, what world I'm going to, what work I have to do. Yeah. Would that be similar to like the Akashic Records? like the hall of that's, records. That's what I think. I think there's definitely some crossover. Yes. Yeah. So basically you're just journeying that. So let's, let's talk about how you, how you get there. It, obviously you were doing it when you were younger, like you just automatically just have that spontaneous, you know, out of body experience. Now, yeah. what is your, what is your process now? Is it, is it that easy? Like you were, when you were younger, you just basically close your eyes, you set your intent and yeah, it really depends what I'm doing. So let's say you're my best friend and you send me a text message and you're like, should I do this business venture or should I not? What are they, what are the guides saying? I can just like close my eyes, clear out and just be like, mm, no, bad idea. Here's why I try this. And that's pretty easy. But that's kind of just like what I do for friends, I guess. Sorry, I tell a lot of stories. That's so <laughs> But yes, so something happened last year. I'm not entirely sure what, I've been unpacking my own trauma and I think through healing myself, my like abilities have been changing a little bit. So for like, I don't know, I don't even know the year sometimes. So let's say for 12 years, I always journeyed the exact same way. So I smudge, smudging's always really key. You want, am I answering the question how I get to the other world? Yeah. Okay. 
It's always the ritual always begins the minute you think you're going to do the ritual. I think we often think it begins once the candles are lit, once the sage is going, once all the things have been called. But really, the minute I'm like, I'm going to journey for Michael today at noon, then everything can become about that work because the intention's been set. Okay. That being said, the first thing that I like to do is I build a smudge bowl. That's how I bring in my indigenous side. That lady that I studied with in the downtown east side, she taught me all the prayers of the smudge bowl and how to build a smudge in the traditional Cree way. And so that's been really helpful. How to give thanks, how to be appreciative and how to call in those medicines. So for me, and you gotta think about your senses. When you journey, you're blindfolded and so, that what you can smell becomes almost heightened. So when that like sage and the sweet grass and the lavender are lingering in the air, it helps you when you're trying to get somewhere. So first, do you have to pee? It's the first question. Do you have to pee? Are you hungry? That's like the first. And then it's smudge, smudge, smudge. Smudge the room, smudge yourself, smudge the tools. And then I pull out my drum. And you always want to rub your drum and hug your drum. Your drum has a spirit in it, right? So you're always like, hey, drum spirit, how's your day? We're going to do a journey. We're going to do a journey for Michael. Rub it, hug it, love it. And then I open the directions. I call all my guides to me. And then I blindfold myself. And then I drum. Okay. It's traditionally how I do it. And now things are a little bit faster. So I've just noticed since something happened last year, I don't know what, we could call it an upgrade. We could tell, call it a download. We could call it healing trauma. And something has happened and things are a little bit faster now. And sometimes I've started cheating because I live in a city and I have neighbors. And so I'll use a drum track on my cell phone and put my headphones on. And that's a bit easier. But I'm yeah. sorry, I'm kind of going on and on. But I've also noticed I can journey to freaking anything. When I was being taught to journey, he made us, my teacher made us learn to journey with just our own heartbeat. The motto was always, what's the only tool a shaman needs? And the answer is your heartbeat. Wow. I like that. That makes total sense. And I'm glad you really you talked about your process too, as well. And it's, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, especially in the last couple of years or so I've had a lot of other healers on and we talked about it, you know, you know, like you say, like the downloads or things are changing their, their abilities are changing, which is amazing. Like they're doing their own clearing and like stuff is coming up for them that they thought, I can't believe this. I, this came up. Like, I thought I dealt with this. And it's like, no, apparently not. You haven't. And it, it, you just where everybody's doing all this clearing work at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So with your um, nutrition background too, and um, I love all things nutrition. I love food too, as well. And food is really the, you know, nature's medicine. Did you find there was a lot of crossover with what you learned in your, your indigenous teachings and your holistic nutrition? Did you find there was like a marrying of two or is a little bit of information similar or different? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think, hmm, I would say no, they were pretty different. We learned Western science nutrition, and then we learned Ayurvedic nutrition and Chinese medicine nutrition, uh, Chinese diet therapy, I think it's called. And so there wasn't a lot of indigenous stuff in the program at all. I now teach at the college that I went to. Um, I caused a lot of stir when I went there. I was like, I call myself like the privilege litmus test. <laughs> it's just like, there's too much privilege here, guys. Whoa. 
And so when I graduated a couple of years after I graduated, a year and a half after I graduated. So I'm always like trying to tell the truth. I try to never lie. And sometimes it just like, I'm always like two years, a year and three quarters, you know, it's like you're only as um, as valid as your word. You're only, your work is only as true as your word. And sometimes it gets a little nitty picky. So the college um, hired me and now I teach social equity there and I teach trauma and I teach indigenous ways of knowing and being. And we're trying to bring that in somehow. Yeah, you know, it always takes, you know, when you have those institutions, they're so set in their ways, and it, it's very difficult to get them to kind of change perspectives on that. And it, yeah. yeah, and I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. It's, there's so much information that's lost, that's not out there. And yes. it's very, it's very hidden. And I think, you know, these are the times where we need to start to embrace uh, the heritage of the Indigenous people there. There's so much information out there that's being lost. Like it just like any type of uh, ancient tradition, sometimes it gets lost. And it was always usually just passed down through oral traditions. Mm -hmm. But if you had something like within that system, that would be so profound and so healing that you could integrate it into, you know, Western type medicine and marry the two to your East meets West type stuff. Mm -hmm. And you bring that in there. How profound is that? There's a really big movement with the eating disorder community, and it's called hashtag decolonize your plate. And that's exactly what it's about. It's about slowing down when you eat. It's about eating traditional foods and just trying to find the healing power in that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a, a neat way of looking at it. Now, are there certain herbs or natural things. I know there's a lot of people are really into start growing their own vegetables. Now mm-hmm. they're trying to get away from the GMO crap that's out there, all this other nasty stuff. And uh, they're looking for, you know, developing their own medicines. Do you teach anything like that? Do you like kind of educate people on, on, you know, what to plant, how to plant, you know, what different species you should plant? Um, I definitely could, but I definitely don't. But that's like a great fun idea. Yeah. Well, I think with your knowledge and your background, I think you'd be the perfect person. Well, maybe that's a new uh, a new thing that you can be doing. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I need to write that down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, because I know so many people are are very um, very excited and they want to know more information about you know what herbs to plant. Let's say the you know you know basil. You know what can I use basil for besides putting it on my tomato salad, right? Um, right. You know, what type of tea can I make? Can I grow my own chamomile? Can I grow my yeah. own lavender? Can I make my own teas? Things like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. And that was my original idea. And I somehow fell into food. But you're absolutely right. One of the things I'm always telling settlers is rosemary, rosemary, rosemary. Rosemary is a really traditional plant to a lot of people from Europe. And it's been used as incense. In Greek, rosemary's name means incense stick. So I think there's a lot of talk around white sage and it being endangered and all the kind of layers of that, cultural appropriation even. And so whenever people are trying to find um, a herb to smoke clear with that feels more true to them and it's less political, rosemary is always a great place to go. So rosemary, yeah. So rosemary, we can basically just plant. And it's such an easy plant. to. It's so hardy. Exactly, exactly. I I mean, I'm not. Yeah, the great thing about it is that, I mean, it's great on any food too as well. So it's like a double dose. So you can smudge it. So you'd have to dry it out and then just burn that with itself. Or would you add something else? Would you add a little bit of cedar? Would you add like, because I know you're talking about smudge pots. Is that correct? 
Foles. Yeah. Foles. Thank you. Thank you. That's a great word. I should have more herbs. Yeah, you're right. I do. You're, oh, you've done your research, Michael. Yes. <laughs> so there's, uh, if I would say like the lazy way is to absolutely just like dry that like twig of rosemary and then burn it and just use it like an incense stick. That's super amazing. I have this, like, I always build a smudge bowl. So when I'm taught from that Cree lady how to build a smudge, I use a shell. This, I've, I did literally have the tiniest one. I'm like a less is more shaman, if that makes sense. The the gentleman who taught me, he- My bowl, I think maybe I'm compensating for something then. If... <laughs> My teacher had a lot of money and um, everything was just over the top. And I remember one day we were setting up for a big ceremony at a festival and I was just like, how much money did you spend on tea lights? And I think like the tea light budget was in the hundreds of dollars. And I was just like, my medicine will never be that outrageous. Yeah, okay. I, can go to, I can go to the dollar store and just pick up a few. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I just use a really small shell. It's tiny as you can kind of see. And then I just, I wish, yeah, I, I would have more things ready. So you always want to start with, um, with cedar, that's what I like to start with. I have a cedar powder that I make and I plant that in the bottom and I make kind of a circle and that's to protect us and to ground us. And then I would put the rosemary in the middle of that, that um, cedar circle. And then I would sprinkle that with lavender. lavender. Lavender is love medicine. For the Cree people, it's love medicine. There's some debate. I've heard some people say that settlers shouldn't use it because it's an indigenous medicine, but I really think lavender is from the Mediterranean as well. Like I think there's different species that grow everywhere. And so I think the most important thing about smudging or smoke clearing, whichever word you want to use, is when we use things like rosemary or sage, those are about it. Um, those are like what I call the heavy scrubbers or the bleach. That's like the exfoliant. And so you never would exfoliate or like deep clean something, even wood, you wouldn't deep clean wood and then not oil it after, not put something soothing on it. You don't like clean something out. Well, I guess you do, you clean plenty of things out and then just leave them because you want to fill them up later. But um, when you are smudging, you always want to smudge with something that's going to call in the love. So lavender does that and sweetgrass, sweetgrass is what does that. Yeah, I, I love sweetgrass. That's one of my instants. That and sandalwood, I seem to gravitate yeah. to her. But sweetgrass, for sure, that's like my number one thing. Because I'm very sensitive to different smells and things like that. So I, I love the sage. I love that too. So just, I know you talked briefly about sage. Uh, you were saying that it's it's endangered now? It's something I, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So California white sage, I should have had plants around me. I should have thought this better. But so I've got California white sage here. Yeah, it's totally, it's endangered. And you, when you're buying it, you want to make sure you're buying it from an indigenous source. And so if you're in Canada, there's a great company in Montreal that I get it from, and they source indigenous, they source their white sage from indigenous people around Canada. But then traditionally when, when so smudging is from the Cree, not all indigenous people did it. It's like the sweat lodge. The sweat lodge is also from the plains. So smudging is from the Cree people and the Cree are from the prairies. And in the prairies, prairie sage grows. It's huge. 
It's the food of the buffalo. It's why the buffalo were deemed so sacred, was that the only plant they really ate was sage, which was this holy purifying plant. And so that stuff, prairie sage, is not endangered, but there, people don't really sell it. Okay. Is it, can you, can you grow just regular sage or to, in your garden and then dry that? Would that work too as well? Or does it have to be white sage? I'm, I would say it's all kind of the same. It's all sage, it's all sage, but it might not burn as well. And it might not have as much oil in it because the sage you're going to grow, you know, you go to the store, you buy a sage start, that's culinary sage. So it's the sage you put with chicken and it might have more flavor, but absolutely. Could you just use it here on the West coast? There's another plant called sagewort, and it's what the indigenous people grew here just to, to smoke clear with. And it's closer to like mother wart. It's a wart family. Okay. Is that something that you can buy commercially too as well? Or is, is there? Sage wart's really hard to find, but okay. you can look for it. Yeah. But unless you get on the West coast there, you might be able to find somebody who has some. You know, I want to say yes, because you can find anything on the internet, but I have never had any luck. Okay. Like if someone finds dried sage wart on the internet, send me an email. <laughs> Yes, and we'll have make sure we have uh, Julie's information. So if you guys do know anything and you found some uh, some source, yeah, please reach out to Julie <laughs> on that. I'll just get an email from you. Said, oh my God, you can't believe this. I'll somebody send you just, some. Somebody, yeah, I, I, yeah, please do. I could use some of that. Yeah, I love saging. Uh, I love smudging too as well. I, I, I found that out years ago um, mm -hmm. about that. And it's helped me, especially because I'm an empath and you know I always collect junk and stuff that gets attached to me and feeling stuff. and. I live in a crazy building, so there's always this crazy energy. So it's always nice to just come in, and it's almost like a, it's almost a ritual now. It's like in the mornings, about we'll do my meditation, do my stretching, get into that, and I kind of clear the space just in case I brought any junk home with me from the day, or if I just go outside now because it is crazy out there, and I live in a city, and it's there's people everywhere, and and it's just nice just to kind of clear that space. Actually, what I was thinking about doing is just going around in my building and just smudging the whole building. But then I thought the fire alarms would go off and people would be like, <laughs> but there's enough people that smoke marijuana in here. They wouldn't know the difference anyway. So. Ooh. Yeah. And you make a spray. That's what I always tell people. Just make a spray with sage essential oils. And then you can, and you put lavender and a bit of sage, make it in a shake bottle sprayer, and then you can smudge anywhere. So you said sage oil? Yeah, like lavender. an essential oil. Yeah, uh, exactly. Oh, okay. So oils, uh, lavender, what was the other one? Um, sage or rosemary would be good. Rosemary. Okay. You know, we keep talking like this. I want to start cooking. Like I'm I know, like hungry right? now. It's like, it's like, oh, rosemary chicken. Oh. I know. Right? I was thinking that too. I was like, Ooh, some sage chicken, mm. a little bit tarragon. You can see all the two are really related. It's like, I know I'm it, not a holistic nutritionist medicine woman. Yeah. I mean, um, did you always enjoy cooking? Like, I mean, I mean, now that I know a lot of nutritionists when they get into it, they weren't really big cooks. And then all of a sudden they start learning a holistic nutrition. And then it's like, okay, let's play. Let's do this. Let's make this recipe. Yeah. I've always cooked. My mom is a clean freak and a terrible cook. I don't know if she'll watch this, but she's not a very good cook. And so um, we yeah, always- a little it. shout out to mom there. Sorry, mom. You can't <laughs> yeah, cook. Love you, but you can't cook. It's so true. Toast. The woman makes great toast. <laughs> and uh, I've always been an eater. So when I was growing up, we just always had a deal that she would clean and I would cook. 
So I've been making dinner since I was about eight years old or something like that. Yeah. Is, yeah. is there is there certain foods that you gravitate towards now? Like since being, you know, uh, a holistic nutritionist and just on your journey, do you find like there's certain foods that you really, are you go-to kind of healing foods? Ooh, that's a fun question. Um, there's a bunch of things I can't eat. My, my own personal trauma has caused these weird food intolerances. Trauma and food intolerances is a really interesting thing. Yeah, that people are slowly beginning to explore. So there's things I can't eat anymore, which I think has more like led me on the journey because I can't eat gluten. And I love gluten. My partner can eat gluten and she buys these like brioche buns. They're oh. so fluffy. And I just oh. fantasize about rubbing them on my cheek. Like they just, I just want to touch gluten on my face. <laughs> I hear you on that. Oh, oh, I just want to stop at the local donut store. There's a brand, there's a little like hole in the wall donut place that's in this little strip mall. And yeah. they make like the freshest donuts. And I see Linus if I go buy them. And I know, I mean, I've never really had a sensitivity, but as I go, got older, it certainly has. I know my, my younger brother certainly does. And he figured that out. And it's like, if I have gluten, I'm going to pay for it. Yeah. And it's like, it tastes so good right now. Oh my God, that donut and a yeah. coffee. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Even now I'm, I'm finding caffeine now. It's really hard for me now. Like caffeine, red meat, um, alcohol, those things. Now it's like, I'm not 20 years old and my body's going, Hey dude, um, I know you love your red wine, but, um, yeah, eight ounces. You may want to start with three ounces instead of eight <laughs> Foods I totally gravitate to. I'll tell you my top two, though. My number oh, one is apples, organic apples. They're always on the dirty dozen. So I always say organic apples with sunflower seed butter. It's like fiber, sugar, which is kind of good first thing in the morning. And then the sunflower oil, the peanut, the sunflower peanut butter, the sunflower butter is chock full of protein and it's anti-inflammatory. And so many of us have a bunch of inflammatory conditions, our joints hurt, our digestion's not quite right. And sunflower seed butter is really cooling and nourishing. Peanuts are really inflammatory. They're growing as the off crop to cotton so cotton's the most polluted, heavily pesticide crop that we grow, right? It grows above ground. And then they come and they put peanuts in, which are a root. And the peanuts come in and clean the soil from when the cotton was, meanwhile, absorbing all the chemicals that were growing in the cotton. I know. I don't know why peanut allergies so, are on the rise. Oh, go figure. Go figure. I know. Maybe it's all the chemicals we're putting in our cotton. That, oh my God, that's so crazy. I mean, I did not know that, but now when you, when you put it like that, it makes total sense. Like it's like, duh. Uh, yeah. I mean, wow. It makes sense even from agriculture. Of course you need a root to go in and clean that soil. Yeah. I, I really think they really need to reevaluate how we grow food. And uh, I grew up in a, a farming community and, you know, um, you know, I'm still a meat eater and, you know, I had friends of mine had, you know, agricultural farms and, just the, you know, the, the mechanics of having like these, you know, those large scale farms and it's, yeah. it's, it's nutty. Like, I think, I think if we gave farmers the opportunity and the resources and the money to help them change the way they did things, they would do it. Absolutely. I always said, I had, I had friends of mine in high school. That's all they could think about is farming. Their whole life was farming. They loved, I mean, that's all they want to do. You, you couldn't get them to talk about anything else. It's all about yes. farming. <laughs> and I, I just when I was when we were younger, I didn't really think about it. I didn't appreciate their yeah. their passion for that. And and it's part of their whole family. I just thought, you guys are crazy. Like 
I mean, so many people yeah. want to get out of a small town and go to the big city and live life. And no, not these guys. They just want to be farmers. And I figure if they have the tools and, and they had the right things, they'd start changing stuff. And I think that's where, I think totally. that's my philosophy. I think that's where we need to really go. Yeah. My family had a farm in Saskatchewan from the 19, early, about 150 years. They had a farm. This generation, no one wanted to farm it. The same, you know, everyone's kind of like you. It's like, it's such a hard job. You work 365 days a year because usually you've got your birthing cattle in the middle of winter. But here's the story. My uncle who was farming the farm when GMOs, when genetically modified organisms were being introduced in the farming world, he held out for as long as he could. And then it was all the peer pressure from the other farmers who were already doing it. And then they were beginning to sue Percy, this farmer from Saskatchewan who's a bit famous in this movement because they began to sue farmers for cross pollination. So yeah. if you had a Monsanto field, yeah, and it pollinated my non-Monsanto field, Monsanto was suing me for because I had part of something they owned. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a whole other topic. We can we can go down yes. that rabbit hole with those people. Yeah. <laughs> not one of my not one of my favorite companies to uh, speak about, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely something that we need to really pay attention to, especially now with when we had COVID and, you know, they're looking at food supplies and things like that. And, yeah. you know, I just think we need to start looking at a broader spec, uh, perspective on how we treat our environment and especially the chemicals yes. we're using. I had a, a doctor on and we talked about chemical sensitivity and I was just blown away with all the different types of chemicals. And I, I mean, I knew a little bit, but when she kind of opened up that Pandora's box of stuff, like my mind was blown. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is nuts. Yeah. Like how the frick did this happen? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, with, do you find it's a struggle right now to, to really get really good food? Ooh, this is a great question. Absolutely. I do. I think, I think I'd live on an Island with a lot of privilege. And so I think where I live, it's easy enough for me to get good food. I have a bit of a food budget. I'm a nutritionist. I love food. We try to eat mostly organic. So we, I have access to good food, but I think about, we're talking about the pandemic. I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and there was a story on CBC and they were talking about an indigenous grandma who was taking care of her grandkids. And she couldn't take the bus anymore because her kids were autoimmune. She was autoimmune. So she had to walk to get groceries. And the only grocery store in her community was the dollar store. Oh, Lord. And so I started just researching it. And we, you know, we were only keeping essential businesses open. And I was following this dollar store. I can't remember what the dollar stores are called. Dollar General, Dollar Whatever. Days. Well, let's, let's not give them any advertising. We don't have to. But. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, yeah. Michael. Yeah. And they were keeping them open because they were deemed essential grocery stores. They were deemed essential for marginalized communities. So I think having access to good food is a privilege and a luxury. Really, I, I, I think it should be like a real common basic need. I really think yeah. that we need to kind of refocus that. I mean, especially now with, with health being so important, like, I mean, the best way to stay healthy is through nutrition and having mm -hmm. proper nutrition, proper food. Things are not laden with chemicals. Things are just, just yeah. natural, basic stuff that's just not full of pesticides. And you think about, we're talking about all this technology, we're trying to send people to Mars and we got this Mars rover, but we can't figure out the, how to grow proper food here without yeah, chemicals. Yeah. What's, what's the deal? I, I have no idea. 
I think it's my whole goal. I, talking to you is really helpful because sometimes I'm always like, what am I doing with my life over here? But I think it's like my goal is to heal people, bring back these lost soul pieces everybody has so that we're more whole beings, so that we can look at things like farming and just be like, oh my gracious, what is going on here? We need to change this instead of just numbing out, numbing out trauma. Oh, I'll just stare at my phone. Yeah, I mean, not uh, that I stare at my phone, but I mean, we all we all do. You know, I, it was funny, interesting. Uh, I basically for so long hold out against uh, social media, but when I started my business, it's like, oh crap, I guess got to have a social media page, uh, you know. And you get caught up in it, and that was one of the things that why I didn't want to have it because it's constantly, you know, looking at you, going, hey, you got a message, oh, you got a like, and you're constantly looking at that. So, yeah, it's it's something naughty, and I really <laughs> I really think that's the way to go is is really about bringing back wholeness. And I think that's what we're missing. And I think that's the original wound is that is the lack of wholeness. And we're always looking for something to feel. We have this big hole and we're always trying to fill it with stuff and mm -hmm. experiences. They're not really realized that we have this hole and that we can't fix, but we can fix it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So with, um, with, your, um, with your practice too as well, are you finding certain certain traumas are coming up a little more often now. Like, you know, we talked about how things are kind of accelerating, how mm -hmm. your abilities are changing. Are you noticing with your clients that certain issues are showing up more repetitively? There are certain wounds that are, let's say, on a more global scale, are you noticing things? Yeah. You know, this is me answering and not answering your question all okay. at the same time. And I'm answering another question at the same time. The thing that's coming up more and more these days that I hadn't really thought about until a couple of years ago was it's these witches. I'm doing a lot. So I go to get a soul piece for someone. I end up in a past life for them. And I'm finding a lot of people burnt at the stake. I'm finding a lot of witches. And I started trying to do some research. And it's like we literally burnt witches of all genders across this whole world, like in Europe and in Turtle Island for like, I think like 500 years. And so there's this whole, there was this whole movement a long time ago to really squash out magic, mysticism, connection to intuition, following the moon. And lately I'm finding more people are ready to heal that. They're yeah. ready to like heal that and reclaim that sense of magic. Cause I think sometimes we put magic or magical people on like a pedestal, you know, it's like, you're so amazing. And it's just like, we're all so freaking amazing, you know? And I think there's more witches, more magical people than we think there are. There's a cultural anthropologist, his name's Wade Davis. He's kind of famous. And when he was doing some cultural anthropology, he did some math. I was like a little bit of math with my mysticism. And he, he, he figured out that traditionally speaking to every 18 people, there was a healer. And so I just began to think of that. Like, you know, I'm not really good with numbers. I just like them, but it's like, you know, there's 35 million people in Canada, 38 million people, something like this. So it's like one in 18 as a healer. And how many of us need to step into that power? Yeah, I think that's where we really need to go. I think that's, if, if anything's going to really change is people to start getting into their power. And that was one of the things, it took me a long time to get out of the psychic closet. Like I was saying, I always say to people, 
it took me years. Like, I mean, I knew I had my abilities. I had my gifts. I did some training, but I never fully embraced it. I kind of hid it away. I did readings, didn't hear them there, but I never really embraced it. It's like, yeah, okay. And I always had that fear of somebody going, find out that, oh, you're a psychic. What do you mean you mean it? What do you mean you talk to dead people? I go, yeah, I've been doing it for a long time. I just never told anybody about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of the things I love about this podcast is that I can help people get them out of that spiritual closet to to embrace their gifts. Um, You know, you can do it, you know, and by having people like yourself out there too, as well, that I can help them heal that aspect of that, bring part of that soul back. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Ditto. (laughs) I think it's important to understand that. I think what's great about your podcast is people understanding we don't all look the same. We don't all work in the same words or the same realms, but it doesn't matter. It's like, well, what resonates with you? That that's, what's important, you know? And that's exactly it. That's why I love to have a broad aspect of different information, different people on healing. You know, somebody will be really gravitated to uh, shamanism and they'll be like, okay, I gotta get, I gotta get a hold of Julie. Or they may have my friend who's really into Reiki and it's like, okay, I gotta go look into Reiki or I gotta love TCM. You know, I need to get some acupuncture for this. But when you integrate all of that little pieces of it, it's, it's, it's amazing journey in itself. I mean, I always say that, you know, doing your work, sometimes it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always fun and cheerful and, you know, the spiritual bypass. Oh my God, things are so great. (laughs) Peace and love, light and love. And meanwhile, they're raging inside, like, you know. Yeah. Well, and your house has been so, like, we had a ghost in here. I was telling you last night and I wasn't getting up to go pee like all night. I was like, because a couple nights ago, I got up to go pee and I bugged my partner. I was like, come, come go pee with me. And I walk out of our bedroom. I know, right? I'm like almost 40. <laughs> and so the bedroom, question is, did your partner get up? Yes. <laughs> Keep that partner. I know, right? And our bedroom's right across from the room we're in right now. And I looked up and the light was on. The whole room was glowing. And I said, oh my God, the room's glowing. And then it turned off. And then she looked and then it turned on and then it turned off. And so exactly what you're saying, like sometimes it's really, it's not always fun. You know, it's not all like soul retrievals and smudging. Sometimes it's like, oh crap, somebody who OD'd followed me home doesn't know they're dead and they're playing with my computer. And then, so then that was two nights ago. And then last night, cause we passed it this morning, last night I was like, I'm not going to go pee. I'll just lie here. And I was like, you've got a podcast. You have to get some sleep. And I was like, that's a ghost. And I'm a shaman. I pass dead things all the time. And I'm still scared. Oh my gosh. That is, I mean, that's going to be definitely in your book for sure. Yeah. 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 How to deal with ghosts, you know, how to, how to pee quietly in the night. So you don't get bothered by ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely oh, one of my strategies. That's hilarious. I mean, the fact that your partner got up with you, I mean, that says a lot. Like, yeah, it's pretty. Kind. I, I, I would have told you, like, forget it. I'm, I'm leave me alone. I got to sleep. Yeah, exactly. You deal. It's like you deal with this ghost all the time. Why don't you go just clear the clear this ghost, get rid of it, and go pee? Yeah, like that's that's pretty much what she's saying. She's just like, this is like, you know, it can't hurt you. I don't know what you're afraid of. Just just pass it. And I'm, I don't. So what I started doing was I make my aunt go first and she gets the story 
because I can see them, but I'm like, ooh, that person is kind of scary. So then I make my aunt go, she gets the story. And if she wants to, she'll pass them for me because she's a good aunt and, uh, or I'll just pass them. But I'm always like, you go first, you go first and see if they're scary. And then when I know their story, they're not scary anymore, you know? Yeah. And that's usually what happens. Um, I had a, a rescue medium on uh, Jackie Dennison on the show and she, uh, she talked about, I mean, that's all she ever did was doing rescue medium and bringing uh, souls into the light. And she told me some crazy stories and she said, once they realize who you are and what you're trying to do, like they're not violent, they're not this, they're not that. They realize that you're trying to help them yeah. and guide them to that particular, that the source of light. So yeah, exactly, exactly. And they mostly just stick to us because they see us. They're just, yeah, they just see us. We shine a little brighter medicine people and pass. And so they're like, oh, great. This person can see me. I better follow them home. <laughs> and you're like, I just want to watch some True Blood, actually. Eat some potato chips. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you must have some, you know, amazing conversations. You and your partner, there, you're eating potato chips. And then all of a sudden the ghost shows up and it's like, oh, I forgot about this one. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm trying to write a television show with a friend of mine who's a medicine woman about about that, just like the silly the silliness of being medicine people. Yeah, well, that's amazing. You know, and I so appreciate you being on the show today, Julie. You know, yeah, so I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, and again, thanks to Drew for connecting us. Uh, you know, I really hope you get some uh, some clients out of this. I really think there's a lot of people who need this profound type of healing. You know, that uh, mm. that soul journey, that reconnecting to and all that beautiful healing so if people were trying to find you julie where can they find you on the world wide web Ooh, a great place would be my website is www.inclusivewellness.ca and then i'm on instagram and i'm at inclusive.wellness on instagram and that's pretty much where i am okay yeah. perfect and i'll have everything in the description too as well so on the audio podcast and also on the video too. So if you're trying Ooh. to, uh, you want to connect with Julie, please do. She comes yeah. highly, highly recommended. And uh, I think that you're going to be doing some amazing stuff. And thank you so much for your time. I really yeah. appreciate that. Anytime, Michael. Thanks for reaching out. Have yeah, a great okay. day. Well, I will. And I'm just going to close off the show. So this Jeez. has been the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast with Michael Philpott. Thank you so much for joining me and goodbye for now.